Well, in honor of Celebration of Women Week, our church has asked three of our own to share with us this morning. And we're going in uh, order of amount of time they've been members. So I'm going to ask Virginia Villarreal if she will come share with us first. Is it okay there? Don't talk straight into it. Okay, Okay, thank thank you, Barbara. Well, good morning. I'm Virginia Villarreal, and I've been a member for six months, so I'm the baby. And to tell you the truth, I feel still a little strange talking to being in a church and speaking to a congregation. I say this because I hadn't been to church in 41 years. Oh, I'd been to weddings, funerals, baptismals, etc., but never to regular services. Even when I was a girl, I never felt I belonged to a church. So for me, looking forward to coming to a Sunday service is a new experience, and I thank you very much for accepting me into your congregation. Let me tell you a little bit about my religious education to help understand my lack of fervor, of religious fervor and knowledge. I was born and raised in Colombia, South America. I was baptized in the Catholic Church. Both my mother and father were Catholics. Um, Though they never practiced their religion, they never went to church on Sunday. My mother was born and raised in Illinois studied in Catholic schools all her life, even went to a Catholic uh, university in Joliet. My father, like good all Colombian boys, was raised in a Catholic schools all his life. One would think that after all of that exposure, they would at least expose their children to God and talk about God's sin and hell, but that didn't happen. Thinking back, though, I think my mother started off with good traditional intentions. For kindergarten, she sent me to Marymount, an all-girls Catholic school. I didn't know it was Catholic. All I knew is that I was very scared of the nuns. They looked very strange to me. In the tropical heat, they were completely covered. Their head cap had just a long vertical slip. slip and you couldn't see their eyes through the shadows. Of course, my father didn't help matters at all when he first saw them and told me that they were probably from outer space. (laughs) That's right, because after all, everything they told me about miracles and actions were about super beings. They were done by super beings. Chariots of fires, for example, were just spaceships. I couldn't understand miracles, but I could understand spaceships. After all, many of my brother's comics books, like Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, Superman, all had spaceships, and my father was a pilot, so I knew for sure he flew in a spaceship. I only studied there for a year after my mother got in a fight with the nuns for, that's right, she fought everybody, for embarrassing and punishing me for not having the correct uniform shoes, and told the poor nuns that she would never again subject 
any of her children to their school. When the German government reopened the German school after the war, my mother decided to send me there so that the Germans would straighten me up, as she later told me. Since I didn't speak Spanish, when it came time for religion class, the Colombian teachers didn't know where to put me. My mother hadn't stated any religion on the forms. They asked me. I didn't understand them. I wouldn't have known anyhow. So they deduced that since I was a gringa, I must be Protestant. <laughs> so they sent me to the non-Catholic class with all the little German and Dutch children. Well, for two years, I had a wonderful religious experience. We sang songs, Christmas carols. We drew and colored little pictures of Jesus and the shepherds and learned beautiful, interesting stories from the Bible. It all came abruptly to a halt when my mother made that rare school visit to ask the teachers, when do children in Colombia take their first communion? Well, the poor Colombian teachers almost fainted. Here they had condemned me for two years to the class with all those heathen Protestants. <laughs> they immediately yanked me out of class and subjected me to intensive catechism classes where I had to memorize prayers and learn the trillion sins we humans commit even before we're born. That was my introduction to the Catholic faith. Perhaps that why, that's why it never stuck. I never did good, 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 good grades in religion, and by seventh grade I would be thrown out of class at least once a week for debating with the teacher, until one day the priest was so furious he told me never to return to class. He would just give me a C for the rest of the year, but he never wanted to see me ever again. That was just fine with me, so twice a week I had a free religion class, class period. To finish my religious education, 8th, 10th, and, and ninth grade, ninth and 10th grade, we studied the history of the church. What I remember of this experience was that the Jesuit priest was a good-looking devil. <laughs> the history of the church seemed very political to me, and not counting the martyrs, not very saintly. So that was the extent of my religious education. I'm sorry to say that my knowledge of the scriptures are those of a second grader and whatever I get from watching the ancient almanac on the History Channel. I can't say I left the Catholic Church because I was disillusioned, no, because I feel I really never belonged to it in the first place. Now I remember the first Sunday I came here and I enjoyed the service very much. I loved the music, the choir, and everything seemed so informal, very personal, and everybody was very friendly. I loved the scenery that came through the windows, and I felt a soothing sense of peace. What attracted me? I, agree with the, I agreed with the unison of affirmation. It expresses the values and visions that were not only taught at my home, but also practiced. I think my mother was a secret Unitarian Universalist. She treated everyone with respect, loved everyone, and taught us to do the same. Though we lived a very privileged life, she taught us never to feel superior to anyone or to abuse our position. 
We were always to see people eye to eye, never below us, nor consider anyone above us either. We helped and fed the poor, and there were many servants to whom my sisters and I taught arithmetic, reading, writing, and just gave them books to read after they very happily learned how to read. After witnessing the xenophobia and virulent hatred and intolerance of our society today against minorities, other religions, and anyone with different ideas and lifestyles, I had lost all hope for change, feeling I was alone and helpless. However, here I find strength in this church, a sense of community and commitment to doing the right things, to try to remedy and fight the ills of society and the world, and to respect everyone and live in peace. Though I've always questioned and disagreed with many, but not all of the teachings of the Judeo-Christian religion, and I am certain I could never belong to a creed-based Orthodox church, here in this church, I feel I can safely search for the truth, safely question if there really is a truth to be found, and hope that one day I could feel certain that before I die, I would find it, and thus dispel doubt and finally feel at peace. Thank you for your friendship, warmth, tolerance, and acceptance. Thank you, Virginia. Our next speaker is Pam Holt. Thank you, Virginia. That the was flames beautiful. reach for it. Very. Is that okay? Hi. Um, Let's scoot up. Okay. I, I remember when I first came to the information session, and I remember telling Ron that the only thing I'd figured out so far was that there is a God, and I'm not it. Uh, <laughs> and. Since then, I've run across a quote by Albert Einstein that says it so much better. It says, Behind the scenes of nature remains something subtle, intangible, and inexplicable. Veneration for this force, beyond anything that we can comprehend, is my religion. Um, my search for spiritual growth and my quest to be of use in the world never got to come together until I got here. They were separate until I got here. Um, my search to be of use started when I was five years old in West Helena, Arkansas. Um, I got hopelessly lost and walked all the way across West Helena and ended up in Helena. The two were very segregated at the time. This was 1961. Um, and I was in an all-black neighborhood. And I had no idea that there was anything like a civil rights movement when I was five or that there was any tension between the races. I didn't know that. Um, but these people were hollering at me and calling me names and telling me to get out of their neighborhood, and they were very angry at me. And I couldn't figure out what I had done that was so bad. Um, I finally got picked up by the colonial bread men and taken home. But I thought about that experience for a long, long time. 
and whenever I heard of anyone being treated with prejudice, I felt I had to do something to try to stop that because I understood what it felt like. I understood what it felt like to have people say you weren't good enough to be in their neighborhood. Um, and it stuck with me. From there, I, I was raised in a Methodist church, um, but I had a lot of trouble with the God is our servant concept. Um, they kept telling me to pray to God for what I wanted, and he'd give it to me. And I thought, no, I don't think so. Um, that's not how it works with my father. Um, <laughs> and I kept thinking also, you know, if, if God needs my advice on how things should turn out, what good is he? Um, <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't accept that. Um, and I was also very ashamed that we concentrated so much on the crucifixion and rebirth. I thought, if that's what it took for Jesus to get our attention, we should be very ashamed of that. We should not be celebrating that. Um, and I was very confused. So I didn't go to church for a long, long time. Then I had children. And my mother and several other people harassed me to take them to some sort of church. Um, my mother was going to a rather watered-down Methodist church, so we went there for a while. Until our oldest was 14. And the three of us, our two sons and myself, had been taking karate classes for quite a while. And I felt more spiritual connection there than I ever did in church. Um, but our son was offered the opportunity to teach, which for a 14-year-old boy was an ex quite an honor. But that meant he had to drop out of the handbell choir. And when the music director told him he needed to check his priorities, we left the church and never went back. Um, and I didn't go to another church till I got here um, and had no intention of going to a church in Shreveport. I knew that Amanda and Joshua were coming because of a promise to Amanda's grandmother, and I respected them for that, but I had no interest in coming to a church. Um, but they came over one day for lunch after church, and our adorable little grandchildren were putting on a show. They get the little stool and a flashlight for a microphone. And Eleanor tells Andrew, Please silence all your electronic devices. <laughs> and she wasn't quite five at the time, so I was cracking up. And then, and then she said, We light this chalice to celebrate Unitarian Universalism. This is the church of the open mind. This is the church of the helping hands. This is the church of the loving heart. And it was like a bolt of lightning. I thought, I want some of that. Um, so shortly after that, I asked Amanda if she would consider it an invasion if I started coming. And she said she thought there was enough church here for both of us. Uh, so uh, I love it. And I'm so glad you guys have welcomed me here. And I'm so glad you were here when I got here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our last speaker for today is one of the most long-term members that we have uh, still here, and this is Hazel Martin. Thank you. Good morning, all, all you. All you beautiful souls. 
I'm Hazel Martin. I have been a member of All Souls since the late 70s. I've been a UU, a Unitarian Universalist, all my life. The UUs hadn't found me, and I hadn't found the UUs. But I always believed in a universal force that ruled the universe, that kept the planets in orbit, caused the grass to grow. And I always believed that all of the creatures of the earth, including the animals, I'm an animal lover, were God's, whoever God is, creation, and were equal in his sight. So you see, let me further explain why I have always been a UU. Until I was 65 years old, I was half Jewish. Then I found out, inadvertently, that my non-practicing Jewish father and my non-practicing Christian mother were not my parents. Well, uh, I don't know what I am, you know. But as my son Jeff remarked at the time, well, Mother, you don't have to be nice to those folks you didn't like anymore. (laughs) So there's good and bad in everything. I believe that a child, I, like every child that's born, comes into the world with an innocence and clean slate and no baggage. By baggage, I mean dogma or ideas or convictions. These non-practicing parents of mine, both Christian and Jewish, decided that they would let me find my own way. So I was fed no dogma. I think I was probably 12 or 13 years old before I heard about that place called hell. So, you see, I've had no baggage. I could go on and on with my experience. You can imagine 90 years covers a lot of territory. I was a happy little heathen, let's put it that way. I went to different churches with different friends, you know. Shopped around, you might say. Uh, my longest experience, I guess, was like a further, like former speaker said, when you got children, everybody was urging you, you should take them to church. So we ended up in the Episcopal Church. I loved the music, still love their music. I love the pomp and ceremony. I, ch- I said the Nicene Creed every Sunday, just, you know, learned it and said it like you would a nursery rhyme. And uh, as I grew older, I became more interested in theology. Previously, I was more interested in child-rearing, and those, those were my books I read. I had five sons, and I needed books. (laughs) So when I became interested in theology and started reading stuff, I started questioning 
the Nicene Creed. And this part, oh, I don't believe in that. I won't say it. No, I don't believe in that either. And I won't say it. So I find I'm almost parting completely with the Nicene Creed. About that time, we had been an Air Force family for 28 years, and we transferred from Grand Forks, North Dakota, to Shreveport, Louisiana. And as we always did for the boys, we immediately joined an Episcopal church. Well, the closest one to the base was St. Paul's, so we joined. Uh, We went maybe two, three, four times and never went back. It was so different than the northern Episcopal churches. Uh, I had a history professor one time that said Episcopalians could could believe any squirrely thing they wanted to. Well, I was one of those squirrely Episcopalians. So, uh, we didn't go anywhere for about 10 years. We'd go past the little church, the little All Souls Church on King's Highway, every time we went to the base. And it was such a beautiful little church, a little A-frame. I think it got an award. Uh, It was beautiful, trees all around it. So out of curiosity, we went one Sunday, and we loved it. The people, it was a small congregation. The people were friendly. <clears throat> we soon found that we uh, uh, knew everybody, and everybody knew us. Uh, we found out the only thing to join was we had to uh, sign a book. We didn't have to make any promises or anything sign a book and support the church. S&S, sign and support. So we joined, and we were delighted with all souls on King's Highway. I'm rapidly going through my notes here, so we can let you go to coffee. <laughs> so what did uh, what kept me in the Unitarian Church? Let's see. First off was the sermons. At the time we had Burton Carley, a wonderful, wonderful sermons. Uh, then uh, he decided to go to Memphis. He was so good. They outbid us, I guess. He's been there ever since. And then we had Bart Gould, another giving wonderful, inspirational sermons. And you felt like after the sermon it was good to have been here. And of course now we have our own Barbara Gerald, who I feel is doing the same thing. And I try to come every time she's in the pulpit, but I have problems now because I'm limited in my driving. To put it bluntly, I shouldn't be driving at all. (laughs) So if you see me come up, beware. (laughs) I got a ride today my son brought me, and I'm hoping somebody in this congregation will take me home. (laughs) I'm sure they will. 
there's still some friendly people around from that congregation. It was the people. Besides the sermon, it was the people. Uh, we still have the Mizras. They don't get here very often like me. They're getting up there in years. Uh, there was There's Chester Kelly. I don't know whether he's here today or not. And there's Ron Thurston, who's always here. <laughs> and there's others. You know, not too many left uh, that uh, were there uh, when I joined in the late 70s. I used to go to all the regional meets. I've been to Houston and San Antonio and Dallas and Dallas and Dallas and Fort Worth and Oklahoma City and all over the region, finding that there are other people all over this area who think and dream like I do. I've even been to General Assembly four times. And then you get the idea there's folks all over America and in Canada and Puerto Rico and beyond that are us. We are they. And it gives you a feeling of uh, empowerment you know, we're so small here in Shreveport as a, in numbers. But those meetings, I remember, I was at the, the last one was at Yale University, and we were in that auditorium, and it has two balconies, holds 3,500 people, and it was full of UUs, and it was so empowering to feel all that you use with you. So, uh, I also went to summer camp almost every summer. So if you're able and willing, I, I, I invite you to go to some of those meetings. I think it'll make you feel uh, empowered and, and bigger. Uh, So, it's been the speakers, it's been the people, it's been the doctrine that has kept me at all souls and will keep me here. Uh, I thank you all for hearing my story. back in 90 more years. <laughs>